0: A Japanese on you.
1: An Hello, and welcome to the Good Friends of Jackson Elias, a regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dorwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And this week, we're going to be getting to the root of the appeal of role playing games.
0: But before that, um, yeah, a little bit of news. The three of us are going to be at the Continuum Convention in Leicester in August. Uh, And if you are attending there, then please come and join us, because we will be recording a live episode of the podcast on Sunday afternoon at 3pm. You are all welcome. We shall have an open microphone for people asking us questions and chipping in on. I believe the subject we're going to be talking about is convention gaming.
2: It seems uh, an appropriate setting for it.
0: Yeah, I think so. And if the recording comes out fine, we'll release that as a special episode.
1: I'd like to say a thank you to everybody who's bought Dockside Dogs, um, which is a scenario I put out four years ago uh, with KOZoom's permission. It's a scenario which is sold in aid of charity. in uh, The funds go to Cancer Research. And... Each two years, there's an event uh, which which raises money for that charity that takes place in Buckingham as a local one called Relay for Life. And I've been a member of that team uh, a couple of times now. And it, it went, you know, it sold much better than I ever expected. I mean, the first year I put it out and just asked for donations, and I think it raised something like £1,500. Wow. The... Th- then two years later, having had it just up on um, drive RPG, I think we raised about another four hundred. And yesterday, I gave the team leader Kath, a check for four hundred and fifty pounds. Gosh! Um, so you know, it's, it's yeah, I'm just kind of amazed how you know much it's, it's carried on selling, really. So uh, all that money goes to charity. Uh, so if you're minded to buy a copy, um, you know that that money will still be going to charity. It's five dollars ninety nine on Drive Through RPG.
0: Yeah, and I don't just buy it for charity. I mean, it is also a very good scenario. I mean, I've played it. I played it with Paul. Oh gosh, many years ago. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's it's an unusual, quirky, uh, and memorable Call of Cthulhu one shot. And you know, if you buy it, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I'm still waiting for someone to run it. Sniff, sniff. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: run
2: it sometime, Matt. So, chaps, on Sunday the 10th of July, we saw a time of day that no man was meant to see. Yes, indeed. We saw a few of them, actually, at both
1: yeah. ends of the day. <laughs> yeah, that was a long day.
2: Yeah, really, really
1: a long you want ago. to say what we did, Matt? <laughs> oh, no, no, will just <laughs> leave, <was> it, it. <laughs> leave it there and
2: leave our listeners in confusion. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, I was confused by the end of the day, I'll tell you. We'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, we got up at the crack of dawn. It was the crack of dawn to go up to the Wild North to go to Gateshead for this Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition launch party. Yeah, Yeah, it was
1: organised by Travelling Man, a shop up there. And uh, we had a Prohibition bar, a kind of 1920s-themed bar for the event. Uh, It kicked off about lunchtime, and it ran through till evening, and we had a question-and-answer session, Mm -hmm. followed by um, some book signing, followed by We Each Ran a Game and then a bit of uh, socialising, and then the long drive home. And it was an absolutely
0: marvellous day. I thank you very much to Rebecca Swainston, who uh, organised it all from Travelling Man, and to good friend of the good friends, Lynn Hardy, um, who, you know, former uh, line developer for Modiphius for Acton Cthulhu, uh, who is now currently working on a, an epic campaign for Chaosium. Um, who uh, did the game organisation and the introductions and so on for us there on the day. So, you know, thank you very much, Lynn and Becca, um, and thank you very much to everyone who turned up. Um, we met a bunch of new people there, a few familiar faces. Uh, we played some very entertaining games, killed a few players horribly, and it was a lovely day out. You weren't
1: supposed to kill the players, Scott. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: oh, shit, I've done this again, haven't oh. It's all right,
2: it's a long way away. They'll yeah. never find yeah. us. <laughs> and also, um, one other person that was with us and that shared the car journey up, our good friend Mike Mason.
1: Yes. Ah, yes, yes, of course Mike was there. Um, he, was, uh, he was leading the question and answer session. And that was a really good session. It was one of the best um, seminars I've been in, i would say. Mm. All the better that it wasn't recorded. In retrospect, I kind of wish it had been. Now. Yeah, I kind of wish it had now.
2: <laughs> T- Tiff was trying to get the camera to see if she could take video footage with it, but she took plenty of pictures, at least. Oh, please tell us she didn't, now that I've said that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, no, she, she only managed to get photos. Of it. Apparently, oh. the camera's only doing, like, five-second bursts at a time, bizarrely. Bursts! They get bursts! <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not in this episode, but that's that's on a future show, folks. <laughs>
1: You'll discover the true meaning of the word burst. Spoiler
2: alert. (laughs) It might be a word of the week, you never know.
0: (laughs) Uh, But the journey itself, as, as Matt mentioned, was a long one, and... I'll tell you what, however much horror there might have been in the scenarios, it was nothing compared to the last two hours of that drive back with Matt half asleep at the wheel and, and Paul and I just talking at him frantically trying to keep him awake. If
1: I'd have been the, uh, the GM <laughs> for that journey, I think I'd be sort of saying, uh, Matt, you need to make a constitution roll to see if you stay awake driving the car. Uh, it was, t- uh, was two uh, penalty guys? Uh, you, you failed it. Uh, okay, so you spend your luck. Yeah, you spend some more luck. You push the roll. Yeah, you push the roll again and again. Okay, you're pretty much a zombie now. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I was a zombie at that wheel by that oh, point. You really were. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so kids, don't try driving from Milton Keynes to Newcastle and back again in, in the one same
2: day. day. Yeah. At least you had a nice Mercedes Benz. Oh yes, it's a comfortable car, and cruise control is a good thing. But, my God, it's a long way. But, you know,
1: with the cruise controller,
2: you are still supposed to keep your eyes open. <laughs> there's a reason I slept for 14 hours the next day.
0: <laughs> but that aside, it was a marvellous day. Uh, if you want to learn more about it and see some of the fantastic pictures that Tiffany took, then uh, take a look at BlasmusTomes.com and there's a write-up of the whole thing there. But before we get into our topic of the appeal of role-playing, it's time for the Lovecraftian... Word of the week.
1: And now, the Lovecraftian word of the week.
2: And this week, admittedly, I always think that this word should normally have someone, uh, someone in an ominous tone going, boy, as soon as, as, soon as I hear it. Um, phantasm. A noun? One, an illusion, apparition or ghost. Two, an illusory likeness of something. That's really specific.
0: <laughs> and this is another word that, again, you know, may not be one of the, the words that you associate with Lovecraft in the way that you maybe think of Eldritch and so on, but uh, he used it, again, as an adjective a lot more than a lot of his, his more um, famous words. And this turns up 21 times in this fiction in various forms, either as Phantasm or Phantasm or Phantasmagoria, in different forms.
1: Phantasmagoria
2: has got to be the winner, hasn't Mm -hmm. it?
0: Oh, that that is a fabulous word.
2: I just keep thinking of the um, computer games. They did two of um, two Phantasmagoria games by, I think it was Sierra, I think, that released them back in the 90s. They were a lot of fun. Clunky is all hell to run on my machine, because lots of uh, stop-motion video, but still pretty fun.
0: Anyway, let's take a look at how Lovecraft himself used the word phantasm, or its variants. And first of all, from Celephaeus. But some of us awaken the night with strange phantasms of enchanted hills and gardens, of fountains that sing in the sun, of golden cliffs overhanging murmuring seas, of plains that stretch down to sleeping cities of bronze and stone and of shadowy companies of heroes that ride caparisoned white horses along the edges of thick forests and then we know that we have looked back through the ivory gates into that world of wonder which was ours before we were wise and unhappy
2: and from the To a season of political and social upheaval was added a strange and brooding apprehension of hideous physical danger. A danger widespread and all-embracing, such a danger as may be imagined only in the most terrible phantasms of the night. And lastly, from the Dunwich Horror.
1: The bent, goatish giant before him seemed like the spawn of another planet or dimension. Like something only partly of mankind and linked to black gulfs of essence and entity that stretch like titan phantasms beyond all spheres of force and matter, space and time.
2: And now we discuss the appeal of role-playing games.
0: That a mind can find its greatest pleasure in escapes from the daily treadmill, and in original and dramatic recombinations of images usually thrown by habit and fatigue into the hackneyed patterns of actual existence, was something virtually incredible to his clear, practical and logical intellect. H.P. Lovecraft, The Unnameable. Let's try to define what we mean by role-playing. So, what are the different types of role-playing?
1: Well, in a broader form, role-playing has been used for all manner of, of things, from uh, from therapy to uh, to the bedroom to, you know, just about all, all sorts of things. I was wondering who was going to be the first to mention adult playtime, but it had to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, you know, when you bring up the topic of role-play, in some instances, people kind of, their minds go down different routes. Dirt tracks.
0: Oh, and we are on <laughs> in Paul's bedroom at the moment, yeah, standing here dressed as dirty role-players, so... <laughs> <laughs> never do that again Matt. <laughs>
1: but I guess where we start off with is as children you know playing like cops and robbers or whatever it is you know you, you, you get into make believe games I mean, my kids I can remember them playing like Harry Potter games for you know hours on end
0: Yeah, and and at that age, I think, you know, kind of trying on different identities and different personalities comes very naturally in a way that, you know, we, we have to remind ourselves as adults, or at least we have to remind ourselves to do it consciously as adults. Because I think to some extent, I mean, we we all do try on different personalities and different you know, social milieus. I mean, you know, we're different people professionally than we might be personally, and you know, different people with different group of friends. So, you know, to that extent, we are used to trying on different personalities at different times.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're a different person at work. Well, I would assume most of us are <laughs> one person at work, or we play one role at work. We play a different role you know friday night in the pub or whatever and we play a different role when we're with the family uh, or with the grandparents or something you know we kind of present different faces of ourselves perhaps
2: but are there you know is that role playing i don't know i think friday night at the pub i would instantly turn into steve mcqueen from the great escape just trying to get out of there as fast as possible
0: <laughs> you're going to the wrong pubs matt
1: no
2: the point is i don't go to pubs
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to see you breaking out of the pub on a motorbike <laughs> yeah, i <I'll> would do it
0: <laughs> but of course we're going to be mainly talking about role-playing games and even that's a fairly broad thing there are lots of different types of role-playing games on this podcast we mainly talk about tabletop role-playing but that probably isn't even the most popular type of role-playing game out there
2: no whenever i mention rpgs to anyone at work they pretty much if we haven't had the discussion already instantly they turn around and say oh you mean like computer games yeah yeah yeah, yeah, urge to kill immediately rises. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but
0: I think with the rise of, you know, things like MMORPGs that the line is getting blurred a bit more because you do have people, you know, engaging not just with the computer but with other human beings, with voice chat and so on. And it becomes perhaps a little more, a little bit more like the tabletop role-playing game experience that, that we all know and love. Hmm.
2: The main route of which I first got into gaming was through LARP, so um, live-action role-playing games. And that's still quite a... Still not divisive, but definitely a very separate community, at least I've found it's There's very much those who do tabletop and those that do LARP, and it seems at least the groups I've been involved with, very little uh, cross-planation between them. I can certainly remember that
1: as a, um, a comeback to people when you sort of say you did role-playing games. There would be this... Um, understanding that, oh, oh so you dress up yeah. and run around, you know, hitting each other with rubber swords or something. And, you know, you'd have to kind of explain, well, you know, there are some people who do that, but no, we're just sat around the table. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite a different thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's the three kind of biggest misconceptions when I try to explain it to other people that I come across are the two we've we we've talked about, computer games and LARPing. And the third is that it's you know, miniature wargaming. Hmm. And you know, and because of the fact that you know tabletop role-playing games bleed into all three and you know, there, there, there's certainly a lot of cross-pollination between them, it's, it's maybe not that clear a divide. It's one that we just assume when talking about role-playing games, but it's you know, not one that would occur to most people.
2: Yeah, tabletop, I think, specifically if you say that, people start thinking, oh, you're breaking out the Warhammer miniatures or mm. something along that line.
0: But perhaps, you know, one way um, that, that more people encounter, or at least non-gamers, encounter role-playing would be through something like a murder mystery weekend, uh, which, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if they're as popular now as they used to be, but, I mean, those are fundamentally LARPs. It's just that, you know, they're not sold as such.
2: I've done a couple of them set round dinners where they've um, where you basically get to interview different suspects between courses. That was a lot of fun. But I'd lo- I've always wanted to do a go-away-for-the-weekend and do a murder mystery event like that, because I think that would be really fun. Yeah, Mm. but you're not actually
0: allowed to kill anyone, Matt.
2: No, but I'm allowed to try and find the scripts and then read them while everyone else (laughs) is (laughs) asleep.
1: How did we start role-playing?
0: God, this is going back a long way for you and me, Paul. I mean, it's it's a bit more recent for Matt, but
2: speak for yourself, Monkey Boy. It feels like a long time for me. <laughs> well, should we go
1: round and just kind of say a little bit? I think not just an anecdote about how we started, but well, that, but also kind of what actually grabbed us about it, what it was about the experience that because we've we've I'm sure we've all done lots of different hobbies and different interests and things over the years, but but none of you know we've followed for decades
0: well none that have dominated our lives quite as much as this i, I think to you know maybe it's because you know we we all do this you know uh, professionally we all write professionally we you know we do the podcast that you know role-playing has become a you know a defining factor in our lives of who we are our identity and so you know the way we got into it and the way it became important to us is you know a, a transformative experience
1: do you want to kick off with that, Matt? Do you want to say when did you first get into role playing games? What was your, you know, like the first experience that grabbed you? It
2: was a week before my first GCSE exams back in 2000. So, literally half my life, 16 years, I've been role playing now. And that was Vampire or? Yep, that was uh, a live action game of Vampire the Masquerade. There's a friend of mine, um, very good, one of my oldest friends actually, um, who noticed that I was getting pretty, say, stressed and just generally more and more frustrated with revision and said you want to step out for a bit and just do something that's completely escapism and took me along to what was at that point I think the third or fourth meeting of what became the MK by Night um, group that ran um, various Vampire Masquerade games over the course of what, what has been 16, 17 years now there's always been a game that they've been running in the Milton Keynes area so, just to be clear, that was one way you
1: were dressing up in costume and interacting with people in a, a kind of live role play situation.
2: Yeah, although dress, dress up is a bit um, bit of an extreme description for it. It was more. Um, everyone pretty much just wore normal, modern, modern get up. Okay, um, well, because it was a modern setting. Yeah, it's a modern day game. Right. So, they had a couple that, um, like dressed up in inverted commas, uh, went a bit more goth than other ones, being, being the game. But. Myself just turned up in a in a suit, pretty much.
1: And do you think? Well, what was it that? I mean, was that what grabbed you? Was that that game that you know that that? Do you sort of remember that as a um, as you know the 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 start of your hobby?
2: Or yeah, was it very... a
1: subsequent experience no, that kind of hooked it you? Was,
2: it was very much that, that particular game session was what, what grabbed me. And it was. It was going to grab me by the throat and didn't let go, to excuse a pun.
0: Okay. Can, um, can you think what specifically it was about that experience that, that so hooked you?
2: It's because it, there was a mystery that was involved. There was a puzzle to, um, that was presented to us. And there was lots of loose ends that I wanted to wrap up and try and make sense of all the plot. And that that game ran for a long time. I mean, that must have been eight or more, seven or eight years, I think, it went on for that there was this underlying plot that we were trying to explain trying to make sense of and that it was just one very long mystery puzzle throughout the whole thing
1: and if i compare that to a you know a murder mystery book an agatha christie or something there's a kind of a you know the, the, there's there's something to be unlocked there there's a mystery to solve yeah how would you differentiate the what what are the things in the experience that sort of stood out to you as you know really grabbing you
2: in 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 that game well it wasn't as much when you're reading something like that i mean i studied Agatha Christie as part of my um, university degree, hmm. was that you are almost force-fed all the clues that they are on the page. You can't help but not read them. Whereas this, you had to physically go out and find them. And it was very much... It was the interactive process of it was so much more fun for me. And so to think, I've got the whole canvas laid bare. Where the hell do I start? And it was it was almost a daunting challenge at the time, but still one that really, really excited me and really grabbed me. And also the, just the feeling of escapism of getting away from the... The, the boring mundane world was just too too much of a irresistible for me
1: well it's interesting you started off with a game that had that in it because that is very i think me and scott would agree that that's a very clear thing that you really like in games any puzzles and we talked about this on the podcast before but, mm-hmm. but anything with a puzzle something to solve you know a riddle a, a, a code something like that um you know that that really appeals to you and then there are quite a lot of games that don't have that so it was kind of fortuitous that the first one you went into that was fundamental to it and that that hooked you
2: yeah no it was pretty much i'd say i owe quite a lot to the um the storytellers who are running the game at the time to say that's very much they they appealed straight to that core of what i like right from the get-go
0: and did that then transition into you playing tabletop games
2: um, over a long time, I didn't even under- I didn't even realise that tabletop was a thing for probably about ugh, five years or more after that, because mm. it was only actually pretty much when I started playing Cult with yourself that was one of the first tabletop games I played.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, I'd, I'd assumed you'd done a fair bit before
2: that. No, no but pretty much all, ex- almost all, exclusively LARP. Huh. So with the a- LARP, how were the mechanics sort of resolved in that? Rock, scissors, paper. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or a very other derogatory terms I can think of what we apply to them. But sure. <laughs> but, yeah, so very
1: different to what, you know, tabletop role-playing games that mm-hmm. um, that, that, that we sort of generally play. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. It's,
2: it's evolved over with primarily a lot of the LARPs I've done have beaten those around the kind of World of Darkness, White Wolf um, games. The later New WOD, or as they're now calling it Chronicles of Darkness games, um, use Decks of Cards, so you end up shuffling those to generate a number between one and ten rather than doing rocks as paper again and again and again for a single bloody test. OK, moving around, uh,
1: Scott, uh, the same question to you. What was your first experience of role playing and, and what you know appealed to you in it?
0: Yeah, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but you know, this is a chance to go into it in a bit more detail. So, I was at boarding school back in the early 80s, and there was another kid there, uh, Danny, uh, also from Hong Kong, um who I mean, we we'd struck up a bit of a friendship. And then one day he saw me playing a, a sort of computer game, uh, well, sort of a a, a role-playing game on the computer uh in the uh, in the boarding house. And he said, oh, yeah, have you ever played Dungeons and & Dragons? And I said, I've heard of it, but, I, you know, is it another computer game? So, yes, I was that guy once. And uh, he said, oh, no, 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 you, you sort of play this face-to-face with dice and so on. And Oh, OK, yeah, I'll give it a try. And uh, it was about a couple of weeks after that before we could get a game together. But I remember uh, the, we had a, a fairly long walk from the boarding house to the school itself, and, you know, we tended to go up there, you know, in packs for uh, for meals and up for lessons and so on. And I just remember for that couple of weeks, I, I, I was probably insufferable. I just remember asking Danny over and over again, sort of, can you do this in
1: Dungeons and Dragons? Yes.
0: Or how about that? Yes. Yeah. And so sort of, Or but, but, you know, if I wanted to do so and so, yeah, could I do that? Uh, yes. So you were trying
1: to solve the mystery, trying to, to comprehend it before you actually did it?
0: Pretty much, yeah. Because I, 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 Having sort of been introduced to it through the, the concept of computer games, I immediately perceived of it as being a very limited thing or you know, if it was going to be a board game type thing, that you were going to be very limited in the actions you could take and the mm. choices you made. And it was you know, just this idea that you could do anything or at least you know, the limit was your imagination and what the dice told you you could get away with doing or, or what was your, on your character sheet. And that was revelatory to me. You know, th- this was completely outside my experience. I mean, I'd, I'd always been interested, you know, since, from an early age in writing. And, you know, I, I was used to creating stories and making stuff up. And it's just the idea that this could almost be brought to life as a social experience uh, and a game was just
1: amazing to me. And when you actually played it, did, did it live up to your expectations? I mean, how was the experience of, Having having spent those, so you're saying those couple of weeks were before you actually got yeah. to play it. Yes. Um, so you've kind of built it up in your mind and been curious about it. Do you remember your, the first session? I mean, yeah. did that really hook you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Um, I mean, it was a very standard AD&D game I, we were a party of adventurers we met in an inn uh, the barkeep gave us a mission to basically go into this old ruined temple and defeat the evil that was there we went around and because we were playing first level characters and we had a, a fairly good idea from the outset of how fragile our characters were I remember us playing it in a very defensive, careful way and just sort of going around testing every single bit of the dungeon before we moved on
2: I, <laughs> didn't, I just can't See that
0: happening now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've changed a bit <laughs> since then, um, and yeah, I, it was um, yeah, it, it was exciting. It was a lot of fun. I remember being caught up in the in the spirit of adventure. I also remember sort of not, not exactly feeling disappointed, but it wasn't quite as uh, it, it didn't necessarily play to my genre interests the way that Call of Cthulhu did. When you know, I finally encountered that about six months later, and um. Also, yeah, you know, I discovered fairly early on, you know, uh, almost immediately after playing that, I went out and I bought a copy of the Traveller box set, um, and and GM'd a few games of that because I wanted to see what it was like being in charge of that side of the story. And yeah, that that was the point at which I really got hooked. Um, I even from the get go, I, I was more sold on the idea of GMing than I was on playing.
1: So, can you crystallise what it was that really grabbed you? I mean, was it that kind of collaborative storytelling? Was it the kind of immersion in a, in another world, or just it all was, those
0: things? It was the feeling that you know this was a way to explore and create stories. And there weren't the same kind of limitations on it that you get in computer gaming or board gaming.
1: How about you, Paul? Yeah, I was, um, I think I was 13, and a friend of mine came up to me one morning in school registration and said, you know, there's some guys in sixth form, so they were like three or four years older than us, but, you know, when you're 13 and there's a 16, 17-year-old, they're like an adult. Um, And... He said, oh, you know, we we could play Dungeons & Dragons. I'd never heard of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, He said, it's Friday evening in the school canteen. So I was like, well, it's a game. And all my childhood life, really, I I just looked for someone to play games with all the time. I was pressing people to play chess or Monopoly or or anything, really. I I just loved playing games. Um, But, I mean, the the range of games available to me was really limited, I think. Um, And... Yeah, so I went along on the Friday evening and I think it was me and Phil who were, you know, friends, same age. And we sat down with this group of sixth formers who, like I say, were three or four years older. And I remember Frank saying to me, have you uh, read Lord of the Rings? I was like, no. But I had seen the animated film, the Ralph Bakshi animated film, and I, I loved it, you know, I loved, I loved that. I'd, I'd, I'd seen Star Wars, I loved that. Um, I mean, my repertoire of the fiction was really limited. I think, you know, when I was 10, I'd read Star Wars and I read it again and again. It didn't come to Buckingham Cinema for like, I don't know, best part of a year, I think. It was ages. Really, it was months and months. Um, And I bought the book and I read it and then I can remember finishing reading it one evening and just starting it again because I didn't have any other books. I kind of longed for that kind of escapism of, you know, I'd kind of picture like obi-wan kenobi walking over the fields because i grew up on a farm and you know being like luke skywalker and things like that so i kind of longed for that kind of escapism and i enjoyed being in school plays as well Mm. um it was it wasn't like any kind of serious drama but i remember this was like when i was nine and ten in in middle school um and i remember enjoying being like christmas carol and being a caveman in something and it was all pretty amateurish I think it wasn't the standing up in front of the audience. It was just the the kind of licence to be somebody else, you know, the fun of playing another character.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I had pretty much the same experience. Uh, at school, you know, from an early age right up to the time I left school, I, I was just always in school plays. I loved acting. And, yeah, it was, it was exactly that. It was just the chance to try on another personality.
1: That kind of... Uh, that went away for me when I went to secondary school at age 12 because drama was so much more serious and i I, I just didn't keep up with it um so very soon after when this offer of role-playing games come came along i kind of think it filled a similar niche so it satisfied the appeal of playing games with other people it allowed me the sort of fun of you know not really i don't think it was really if i'm honest i guess it wasn't really about role-playing it in terms of playing a role it was about immersing in this fictional world it was it was amazing that we could sort of step into this other world and you know my imagination would just sort of run riot with it really it was just it was such I guess it was escapism Um, I mean life was pretty boring in you know 1980 (laughs) as a 12 13 year old growing up in a little market town in in England Um, and being able to sort of step out into you know, this kind of fantasy Lord of the Rings type place was just incredible.
0: But I think you've put your finger on something there in that it scratches the same itches as both, you know, writing and acting, which, you know, had been two interests of mine from an early age. And it's, you know, I think, yes, you know, that was a big part of the appeal of role-playing for me, that it was like a convergence of these two
1: things in, in one form. And I think, if I'm honest, you know, when I looked back... um, when I had my wedding anniversary last year and we looked back at letters that I'd written, we, we kind of had this thing where we wrote letters to ourselves for the following year um, on our, uh, our early wedding anniversaries. And every bloody one said about, you know, keep up the role-playing games, you know, try and get this thing published or whatever. Every single one of them, it was, it was a revelation to me looking back um just how much of a an interest that has remained to me over the years and when i look back you know my i've I've moved around the country i've moved groups of friends you know from college to university to to work and things but there's always been it it might be very sparse over a 12-month period but there's always kind of been a a role-playing game somewhere going on well i think that leads us quite naturally into
0: our next topic
1: Why do we continue role playing? So Matt, we've established that you liked solving puzzles. Can we call them puzzles? Yeah, I'd say that um, in the in the Vampire LARP and so on. Uh, and then you moved on to playing tabletop with Scott. You know what? So what's kept your interest? Because not all games have puzzles, or is it that you just like games with puzzles? I mean, what what's kind of kept you coming back to this hobby? Because it could well been something that you picked up as a you know a teenager and then kind of dropped off.
2: No, I think puzzles are a, main, a, a big part of it, but not necessarily the main part. Um, the biggest part beyond that, uh, with gaming in general, is escapism, because I, I take a rather dim view of the world that I think is a really shit place and would probably uh, do the universal world of good by wiping out humanity, that it's a great way to escape that horrible world that I find myself in, and to actually do something that's creative, something that's immersive, something that's generally better than life. So that that sounds like escapism. Then it's yes. it's getting away from
1: um, the mundane world into a into a you know a a, a fantasy escapist you know in your, into your imagination and a kind of shared imagination with other people. Yeah, exactly that.
0: But it's interesting that. I mean, I think we'll all come around to much the same point. But I think it's interesting that you know, all of us are also drawn towards horror games. And we're talking about escapism, but we're talking about escaping into worlds that, albeit in very different ways, are probably much darker than ours. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I do like horror games, but I also like um, D&D type games and so on and so on. So on. Yeah, I mean, we've looked, in a previous episode, we explored the appeal of horror. Mm. Um, So, you know, I refer the Honourable Gentleman to that one, I
0: guess. (laughs) But Matt, I've known you for some time, and I think it's fair to say that most of the friends that you've got are people you've met through gaming, of some description.
2: Oh, yeah, almost exclusively. Um, At least those are the ones that I've kept in touch with. So... Um, people, for instance, I went to school. I've got a very small group of friends that I keep in touch with. Coincidentally enough, those are also the group that I kind of dragged into the Vampire lap as well. So that's how we've um, kept together. I don't keep in touch with anyone apart from maybe the occasional comment on social media once every couple of years from university. And likewise, my previous job, I haven't kept in touch with anyone from, from there. It's very much gaming is the core of my social activity. Otherwise, I'd probably end up just being a hermit, stood in, um, sat inside with my library of books and contenting myself with Tiff for the rest of the uh, the rest of time. It's, Tiff, my... it's sorry, Tiff, who you met through role playing games. Funnily enough, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I think that's a big thing. I mean, role playing games are pretty unique in that respect, in that they are a fundamentally social activity. Um, in a way that, you know, maybe not even board games are. Um, and that my experience is that the friendships you make at the gaming table are lasting ones. I, you know, I've made a, a great many good friends over the years uh, through gaming, and I think part of it is because... I, I've probably said this on a previous podcast, that... <sighs> that role-playing games are, you know, the the perfect icebreaker in a lot of respects. When you're sitting down, you're socially interacting with a bunch of people you may never have met before, but you've immediately got something to draw you together. You've got a safe way to interact with each other by trying on another personality, which, you know, if you're a bit shy or socially awkward, might be, you know, an absolute lifesaver. Um, and at the end of it, you've got that feeling that you've shared an experience together. You've shared the kind of thing that binds people together. And yeah, I, I struggle to think of too many other activities that crystallize you know ice breaking down to, you know that that pure an experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is the kind of thing that we hear about. You know, uh, team building experiences in in you know in in the workplace that, that kind of try to, to do that. I mean, this, this actually kind of does it really. You know, you get like at Milton Keynes Role Playing Game Club, um, we get people come along that maybe haven't role played before or that um, have you know had a had a long break from role playing. They sit down with five people they don't know. You know, I guess there are um, clubs and societies that might one might join, but. Not necessarily ones where you would play an equal role from the get-go and be able to, I don't know, kind of interact with people in the same yeah. way. That, that
0: fosters social interaction, talking to each other pretty well constantly from the get-go, but gives you something immediately to talk about as well. You know, It, it creates that shared experience spontaneously.
2: Yeah, that, that's one thing I've definitely latched onto, that I've... I'm, pretty uncomfortable whenever I go outside and there's large volumes of people probably because I think that inherently there is nothing that connects me with the rest of uh, the rest of society but I go to a convention like Gen Con where there are the best part of well, 10 20 30 odd thousand people and I know instantly that they've got a um, shared like with me and I feel so much more comfortable around that
0: hmm you know, I've, I've always been quite a, you know, a shy, introverted person by nature. And I, I found that, you know, from the time that I started role-playing, that, you know, this gave me a way to come out of my shell a lot more and interact with other people and um, just generally become more comfortable in social situations. Um, and it's had a, a huge, I think, knock-on effect on the rest of my life. I think I'm a, a much more functional human being as a result of, you know, 30-odd years of role-playing. Oh, which is perhaps setting the bar pretty low. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shall we come around to you then, Scott? So why have you carried on role-playing games? You talked about your, your early experiences of them. Yeah, ultimately, you know, we sat around the table rolling dice with people. You, you've said how it's a, it's a good sort of social um, device for getting to know people and so on. But, I mean, there are other ways to do that. Other people, mm. you know, regular people you know, walking up and down the street outside my house. Now, they seem to get on without role-playing games. Freaks. Yeah, I was going to say, they're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, what's kept you coming back to it,
0: really, do you think? Oh, gosh, a combination of factors. So, as well as the social one and the fact that, you know, most of the friends I've got are role-players. I like the creative aspect of it. As I've said, you know, I tend to GM a lot more than I play. But even then, yeah, I find this through playing as well, that I enjoy um, sort of creating interesting situations and seeing how people go through them. I enjoy switching between characters, particularly when I'm GMing and just you know trying to quickly come up with dialogue on the fly for a bunch of NPCs. I, I enjoy the creative challenge of that. And as a player, I enjoy, you know, creative problem-solving. Um, not necessarily, you know, clue-finding and mysteries and so on, but it's, you know, you, you've got a particular situation, it's, you know, how do you best deal with that? And I think role-playing is a great tool in that respect for teaching you, you know, or, or developing that creative problem-solving side of your brain. Um, and so it's, it's a combination of all those factors.
1: Um, so once, did, once you're into it, I mean, you seem to imply that <clears throat> once you've started down that road, it's kind of like a, you know, it, it starts rolling and, and you just kind of collect for people who like doing it in your social circle yeah. and you find more and more that you enjoy in it.
0: Yes. Yeah, you know, I, I think, yeah. You know, certainly momentum and habit is a big part of that. And I think that's probably the, the case with any hobby that if there's something you feel passionate about that you enjoy doing and that you know, you've got the time to pursue, then it's going to become an important part of your life. How come you had
1: ten years off?
0: Yeah, um, I didn't role play at all from 1991 to 2001, and that coincided with when I moved to Milton Keynes. Um, I'd been role playing sort of sporadically well I was down in London before that but then I moved up to Milton Keynes because I, I moved in with my then girlfriend she wasn't a gamer none of the people I knew up in Milton Keynes were gamers and suddenly I was separated from my old gaming group um, and there wasn't and,
1: really much online gaming then to no, speak of no i
0: in, in 1991 there wasn't really you know a public internet no and um, so um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't know how to get in touch with other gaming groups. I didn't know of other gaming groups in, in Milton Keynes. And I just drifted out of it. And, you know, in retrospect, those were a pretty unhappy ten years because I didn't really know what to do with myself.
1: Um, do you think that's the case? Do you think yeah. there was a, a gap?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I right. really, really missed it. And then... Um, there was uh, a woman I worked with, uh, Trudy, uh, who both of you know. Oh yeah. Um, who um, yeah? She she was a gamer. Her boyfriend was a gamer. Um, and they convinced me basically to get back into gaming with them and, and other people. And she, you know, sort of, uh, the, the two of them dragged me back into it back in about 2001. And, yeah, it, it, there were a few false starts and tentative missteps and so on. And and then, you yeah, know, I, I remembered just how much I loved all this stuff, and it consumed my life again.
1: <laughs> I tried to get out, and they pulled me back in again.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. So how about you, Paul? Why do you keep doing it? Why why do you keep doing this to
1: yourself? Well, I guess when it comes down to it, the simple answer is because I enjoy it. Um, But why do you enjoy it? Why do I enjoy it?
0: What does it fulfil in you?
1: Going back to what I said about, you know, how I started, when I kind of think about it, I kind of can't help thinking that there's a part of me that forever is trying to recapture that first time in the school canteen
0: (laughs) you sound like a junkie trying to chase that first high (laughs) (laughs) game.
1: yeah i think so i think so i mean maybe i'm looking at it through rose-tinted spectacles but um you know that that it was that sense of wonder really Mm -hmm. that that i think can often be lost um in role-playing games they can kind of become about they can become rather functional mechanical um you know trying to be realistic and um you know mechanical that 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 sort of becomes a bit you know and and then sometimes i don't really enjoy it
0: yeah it becomes a chore
1: yeah it can feel like that sometimes um but yeah that that sense of wonder about being immersed in this other world and not knowing what's going to happen and you know when these monsters jump out not knowing that an orc, you know I'm you know I'm third level so I can stab it and kill it quite easily. you know when it jumps out, it's like, bloody hell, what the hell is this? panic, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think that that trying to recapture that sense of wonder, I would say and and that immersion in another world. I think now the things that I enjoy most that kind of keep me coming back to it are the times I enjoy the most are when things happen. You know, at the gaming table, that nobody planned—the kind of the mm. dynamic thing that happens between people that creates fiction. Everybody goes, everybody smiles, and uh, is kind of knocked back by. You know, it might be funny, it might be horrifying, and I find it both as a as a GM or as a player. It doesn't doesn't really matter as long as the game gives you license to do that. Um, that, that gives you that kind of creative input um so just kind of plodding through a um a scripted scenario if, if it's if it's played to the letter um unless i guess if that scripted scenario has got some really creative interesting stuff in it then then fair enough but it's the it's the dynamic that, that spins off of that at yeah. the table um because it's a role-playing game it's not a book it's not a computer game it's it's stuff happens that nobody has foreseen
0: yeah and particularly as a gm that's the stuff that i live for uh you know, if i'm gming something i don't want to know what's going to happen I, I i want to feel that same sense of wonder and surprise but going back to something you said a moment ago i you're talking about trying to recapture that sense of wonder that you had uh, as a teenage role player do you ever feel that you do
1: rarely yeah yeah um, Bizarrely, the other year um, at yeah, IndyCon, when the uh, friend of ours, Rich, ran an original D&D game and <laughs> I was playing with Robin and it was kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it did recapture that that kind of feel of playing the game when we were 13 or 14. But it did capture that, that sort of feeling. And I think when I look back, actually, when we were 13, 14, we didn't take the games that seriously. Yeah. Well, we kind of took them as serious fun if you like um you know we were very committed to it and and everything but but there are all kinds of crazy things that happen in the games um you know we weren't playing any like uh you know scripted setting or anything like that we're just making crazy stuff up in the world and 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 you know whatever appealed to our kind of young teenage sort of um imaginations really
0: yeah yeah you, you weren't interested in realism no, I think we've gone
1: maybe too far down that route. But
0: I, personally, I think that depends entirely on the kind of game you're playing, the group you're playing with, and so on. And yeah, you know, some, sometimes yes, I agree that I really want that experience. I want that experience of anything that can ha- anything can happen. Um, I want the craziness. I want the wackiness. Sometimes, yeah, you know, particularly with horror games, I think that that can be counterproductive because you know if you're trying to create something horrific then you know that that, that undermines any atmosphere you might be creating so you know it, it's it's different tools for different jobs
2: yeah the gonzo aspect can derail things quite a bit yeah definitely yeah yeah um
1: so i think even in those very kind of realistic setting you know if you think if you think about like beyond the mountains of madness you know set in antarctica and it it very much strives to kind of portray the the climate and the setting and everything in a realistic terms in terms of the antarctic expedition complete with (laughs) pentagon indeed um you know it it is those those things that, that are generated at the table it's having an interesting story it's being able to immerse in that world escape into that world and kind of the 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 talk between the the player characters and it's the the things that kind of spin off from that that just yeah they're fun in a way that watching a film you know films i I enjoy films but you watch the film on your own or you watch it with friends it's kind of a shared experience Uh, but but it's it's a passive experience yeah it's very different
0: so one question i wanted to ask both of you i mean we'll start with you matt do you feel that the experience of role playing the experience of having played lots of different types of people and personalities and you know perhaps people whose mindsets and beliefs and experiences are very different from your own do you think that that has changed you broadened you as a human being at all has you know perhaps made you more empathetic or you know it makes it easier to see other people's viewpoints
2: i've always joked if my um, if i was to put myself down as a kind of world of darkness character sheet of me that i would have empathy zero <laughs> Um, because I, I can't read people at all um, I can't tell particularly when people are joking Or being sarcastic and such Outside of the gaming context I find it incredibly difficult To, oh, okay. um, to kind of make that connection with people I've very much taken what they've said is what they mean um, I'd say it's helped in certain aspects But not necessarily in all that it's definitely—I'll say probably maybe a bit more confident, definitely in being able to do um, public speaking or giving presentations at work and so on. Because it's pretty much just—I feel like I'm back behind the gaming table, behind the GM screen, um, in command of a scenario. And the same thing when I get up and give a presentation at work—it's two very, uh, very similar skills that you need um, to use in those in those contexts. And so that that definitely has helped.
1: There's a definite life skill there. I mean, having to, you know, as you do, going to conventions and sitting down in front of six people you've never met before and presenting an activity for four hours to them, um, you know, that that you've created, that's pretty significant.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, nothing more than role-playing at conventions or GMing conventions has done more to diffuse my fear of public speaking. I mean, for all the acting that I did as a kid... Um, you know, there's a real difference between reading from a script or, you know, learning your lines and reciting them on a stage and, you know, being able to present your own material, being able to be spontaneous uh, in front of an audience. And I think, you know, role-playing has helped an awful lot with that uh to To the extent where you know previously i 'd be absolutely paralyzed um you know even you know, if I was at a training seminar and it gets to that stage at every training seminar at the beginning where it's sort of oh tell us a bit about yourself i yeah you know, I used to be the person sitting there sort of saying oh god yeah i don't want to do this i don 't want to do this yeah i don't want to stand up and you know, say anything to these you know seven or eight people here." And, um, yeah, it got to the stage where, you know, last year at, at your own Tiff's wedding, you know, speaking to a group of, what was it, 60 or 70
1: people or whatever.
2: Probably closer to 90.
0: Yeah. I, I, I didn't feel a shred of nerves doing that. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, Matt, would you say that as a hobby, it's something that's kind of, if, if you feel, as you have sort of said, that you don't read people very well and you, you, you don't feel very confident around strangers who's that kind of yeah gem- generally
2: I, I mean i just don't like going outside period pretty much
1: so do you think having a um an activity i mean i would put it that it's an activity that it's a game it uses dice and there are kind of um almost guidelines on socially interacting Yeah, it's oh, like because yeah. if i said oh there's there's five people down the pub that you've never met before um, do you want to go and, um, you know, out for dinner with them or, you know, go and sit down for the evening and chat to them? That's like, you know, what the hell?
2: That That is horror. Uh, that would be, I would find a thousand different reasons to say no.
0: And <laughs> you don't find that role-playing games and convention gaming in particular and GMing for strangers at conventions has helped you at all with that?
2: Uh, no, because there's, con- there's a definite canvas. There's a confine, as you say, a rule set, of gu- a set of guidelines. We know why we're there and we're here to do this. And that is perfect for me. That gives me the territory in which I can operate in. But is
1: this a side effect or an appeal?
2: I think that's an appeal,
1: a massive appeal for me. It is a big appeal to you. Okay, yeah, cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've often said that, you know, role-playing games are like, uh, you know, training wheels or, or water wings for social interaction. You know, if you're scared or uncomfortable with social interaction, then role-playing games are a great way of uh, of getting you into that, you know, that space, getting you talking to other people without that feeling of danger.
1: I've certainly observed that, I think, with people um, probably more so at the, at the club, because I imagine those people might not take the leap to go to a convention. That's quite a big leap, but but just going to the Milton Keynes Club is a fairly low, you know, barrier to overcome. And you know, some of those some people are very kind of quiet and introverted, but you know they'll go along, and and they may not be the loudest person at the table, but, but yeah, because they've got those dice and a character sheet and they've got a role to play, and they're happy to sort of sit down with the group and. It's kind of, yeah, it gives them a licence to interact socially. Whether that's why they do it or not, I don't know, but... And going back, uh, you know, to something that you touched on earlier, Paul, I,
0: do you think, uh, you know, I'll address this to you, I do you think that role-playing scratches a kind of creative itch that, that you know, you, you didn't, you know, maybe didn't realise you had before or had been unfulfilled uh you know that kind of that that kind of coming up with uh setting situations characters and so on does that fulfill something in you
1: probably the thing that it satisfies most is the thing that i will find myself dwelling upon more than anything else the mechanics Hmm. um so you know i can remember watching coming out of the cinema or yeah probably cinemas more than anything else and there'd be something that had happened in the film and I'd, I'd be thinking about how how would game mechanics kind of you know how would that play out in game mechanics and i'd kind of think of the the games that i was familiar with and i'd think how would that fit in or how would you adjust them sort of to deal with this and that that because i, I kind of like um I, I was always very into uh maths at school i mean i i studied art but I enjoyed maths. I wasn't, you know, I didn't do it degree. I wasn't brilliant at it. But I did it at A level and I did maths and statistics and statistics kind of feed into um, role-playing game mechanics quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, I think that that is something that I would, that would sort of bounce around my head as, as much as kind of settings and characters and so on.
0: Well, I mean, I, I'll address... The- Pretty much the same question to you then Matt because you know, I mean from my own experience yeah I, as I said I started writing you know fiction as a kid before I ever got into role-playing games and you know certainly when I was young I was very drawn uh, towards writing you know particularly short stories you know I was always trying to get them published in my early 20s but I found as the more I got into role-playing games the more it sort of dominated that side of of my creative impulse. That the more I role played, the less I f- the less I felt the need to write fiction. I mean, you, you 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 used to write fiction as well, didn't you?
2: Yeah, a lot in school. Um, whenever there was a chance to do any creative writing projects, I would throw myself into it and fill notebooks full of uh, mm. full of stories. Because um, so I was always immersed in like, so I've always been a big Doctor Who fan, for example, so doing uh, what would be loosely called fan fiction, or at least stuff set within the uh, Whovian universe, or spin off some other uh, novels that I'd read that really captured my attention. I think that that comes down to listening to an audiobook I found in my mum's collection of um, cassette tapes of the Odessa file that she'd been given years ago, and she hated. Um, she just left it in a box and never looked at it. I found it and went, what's this? And she said, oh, just an audiobook, and I listened to it, and that really captivated my love of fiction, and that's where that really stems from. But yeah, it's, I suppose, it's also quicker than writing as well, which appeals to me.
0: Yeah, there's a real immediacy to it. I mean, if you're drawn towards that creation of story, then you know, a is collaborative and b, like you say, it's immediate. I mean, you're there at the gaming table. You start off with an idea, you know, maybe a fairly loose one, and it can it can snowball into something really quite satisfying there. Whereas if you're writing a story, you might you know be sitting down researching a lot of that, coming up with a lot of details, outlining it, and then writing it, and it's a much longer process, and you don't get that immediate feedback.
2: Yeah, it's the the kind of the the equivalent of one sitting under a tap that's slowly dripping, or the other one being immersed in a waterfall. Yeah. So, did you? Does that correspond
1: then that you sort of stopped writing fiction when you started playing role playing games?
2: Um, I'd say to a degree the balance definitely shifted. Yes, um, I mean I still do the occasional bit of fiction, but mainly it's just the dire lack of time that comes with being an adult <laughs> trying to have uh, trying to do a full time career. That it's very difficult. But I'd I'd love to do more. But say it's just time.
0: Well, now let's take a look at how we would explain role playing games to non gamers.
2: With great difficulty, I find.
0: Yeah, and this is something that I, I really wanted to discuss in the podcast, mainly because I wanted to get ideas off the two of you. Because it's ah. something that, well, let, let me explain this. Put it in context. So over the last seven or eight months, um, to try to get away from just sitting at home and working and never leaving the house, I, I started renting a desk at the local art centre, um, a place called Art Central in central Milton Keynes. And um, I, I've had this conversation now with a number of people there where they say, oh, right, yeah, what is it you do? And I, I sat up by saying, oh, I'm a writer. And they say, oh, OK, well, what is it you write? And I have never come up with an adequate way of explaining that.
2: I think my go-to line is that I always say it's somewhere between amateur dramatics and collaborative storytelling.
0: Yeah, I, and, and I think that's a good way of doing it. But I'm, still, that doesn't really get to the heart of what it is.
2: I did say it was difficult. That's yeah. why I say that's because, my go-to because, line.
0: Because it's also a game. Yeah. I I, I think you know, part of the problem is that Tabletop role-playing is so unlike anything else that it's very difficult to find analogies.
1: I think it's a danger that you end up saying, oh, it's a bit like D&D. Do you know Dungeons & Dragons? Every time. Yeah. That can easily be um, misrepresenting what we do.
2: Or you find well, or people's
1: likes. perception of it and, is and, yeah. quite different to what we do do and, in many and, ways.
0: And, and certainly yeah you know, i've tried that a couple of times and again that then leads to the ideas oh yeah either it's a computer game or it's a miniature game hmm.
2: whereas i'm always worried that i'm going to find that one person who sides with jack chick <laughs> <laughs> well that's always a worry
1: mm-hmm. uh, i think for myself i would say i would tell people that um it's a it's a it's a storytelling activity you sit around with some friends and uh, they each play characters in a world, and one person kind of runs the the world, and and you come up with a collaborative story. And I would liken it perhaps to a murder mystery evening, um, or yeah, that, that's probably what I would what I would go for.
0: And when you do that, do people tend to understand what you mean?
1: I'd say with the murder mystery
2: angle, yeah, I've I've used that line a couple of times. Yeah, I think
1: that's a vehicle that that people can kind of. Well, I guess you know, when you look back, as you just described, Scott, of your of your fortnight before you actually played the game of, of constantly sort of coming up with questions mm. about, well, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? Well, people aren't going to comprehend exactly what it is until they've done it. But I think they can kind of start to get a handle on, you know, I guess what what are you doing? Well, we're sat around a table. OK, they're sat around a table in a room for an evening with some friends telling a story. Um, and they have roles in that story, and it's kind of a collaborative thing. I can kind of picture that, yeah, yeah. Until I've done it, I'm not really gonna, uh, you know, fully grasp it. But, but I think, but I think just putting those constraints on it is is quite a lot. Because when you say role playing games, you know, do you mean running around in a forest dressed up, or yeah. do you mean, um, you know, online? But 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 just saying, you know, describing the, the, the setting and saying how many people. Um, maybe mentioning as dice and paper, you know, it, it kind of paints a picture that people can kind of visualise.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe a question for you then, Matt. I'm, one thing that I've seen... Other people mention online, and maybe I feel a bit of this myself, that makes it difficult to explain to other people what uh, role-playing games are, is perhaps a bit of a sense of almost embarrassment about, you know, it's it's perceived as being geeky or, or, yeah, somehow not something normal people would do. Have you ever encountered that?
2: No, I've not so much encountered that. I think it's because it probably more side with what Paul said, that there is so little comparison of what else you can draw upon, that it is just its own thing. Um, a, friend of, again, a friend of mine used a long time ago, can you try to describe a taste um, mm. by using um, other metaphor? Or can you describe a colour in comparison to something else? No, because they are exactly what they are. You can only r- relate it to like, well, d and a bit like Cthu- um, Cthulhu or Cthulhu's a bit like another game, but you're always using the same frame of reference. I think maybe also, Matt, I, I wonder if this is the case, that
1: you started when you were almost an adult. I started when I was 13. So mm-hmm. so there's this mm-hmm. kind of perception in my mind that it's it's a kid's thing. So when I, I do have a bit of embarrassment, or I have done in the past, had a bit of embarrassment about trying to tell people what I do
2: because, you know, part of my mind is sort of thinking this is for kids. Oh, no, hell no for me. Um, especially when the average age of everyone who was at the vampire game, and that this was easily 30 40 people were all in their mid-30s
1: exactly so so you you kind of you started off from a position of this is an adult you know activity yeah yeah Yeah,
0: and you were one of the youngest people there
1: oh very much so yes (laughs) yeah yeah in the early years when i was playing at school i because it came out of the war game society napoleonics and so on so it was still called the war game society um but it sort of transformed into more and more role playing but when I told people what I did, I would say it was wargaming. It really hit me when I, I was getting up early one Sunday morning to go to games day, I think in like 1984. And so it was kind of early morning and my dad was getting up to go out to work on the farm and you know we didn't really talk a lot. And he just said one sentence which really kind of uh, you know, hit me in the gut really. He said, uh, "I said uh, he said he what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm going to a wargames convention in London. And he said, well, if you'd lived through the war, you wouldn't want to keep recreating it. Hmm. I thought, oh, shit. I've I've been saying the wrong thing to him. Why did I dress it up as wargaming? It's not wargaming at all. But he thinks I'm recreating like World War II and and so on and enjoying that. You Hmm. know, I've just totally misrepresented it to him in the wrong way. Um, So I always kind of felt bad about that. Hmm. Did he ever manage to put him right on it?
2: No.
0: I
1: guess not.
2: I just find it such an image that while you're doing that, there's me and, uh, me and my nappies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> fuck off, mate.
0: Just, just fuck right off.
1: <laughs> you could take the nappy off now, to be honest, Matt. <laughs> it's so comfortable.
0: Yeah, just as an aside, we were having a conversation before we recorded this episode trying to work out how much time we'd spent role-playing between us. And we worked out that between us, we've been role-playing for 83 years.
1: And And Matt noticed the coincidence.
2: Yeah, what's the number of this episode, guys? Mm. It's almost like we planned it. (laughs) Uh,
1: Just to be clear, we didn't plan it. (laughs) We we don't plan anything. (laughs) Uh. And now it's time for...
2: Ask Jackson.
0: As we've explained in previous episodes, we are the earthly vessels of the spirit of Jackson Elias. He speaks to us, well, even when we're not listening or we don't want to hear right? he, he He gets particularly chatty at 3am or so, doesn't he?
2: I thought yeah. that was just tiff snoring you.
0: <laughs> but, but but yeah yeah he he lets us know his thoughts on all sorts of subjects, and he really does like getting asked questions so we do ask our listeners uh, to contact us via the contact form on the website via social media we're on Google+ uh, Facebook Twitter sometimes but um but, yeah, it, send us your questions, the conundrums of you know, existential horror and eldritch mysteries that you have not quite been able to fathom yourself. And we shall ask Jackson on your behalf, and he shall spread his
2: shining wisdom through us. And this week, our question comes from listener Richard Christopher August, who says, Dear Jackson, of late I found myself strangely aroused by the full moon. Who doesn't? I'm sure a gentleman of your experience can appreciate what I mean. Mm-hmm. Indeed, on occasion, I've been positively transformed into a large wolf. Is this common? Why is there this taste of blood in my mouth? Why does my wife now only have one arm? Is there a way a horrific creature such as myself, with such a weight of tradition and cliche around me, might once again become frightening? Yours, excessively her suit, Manchester. <laughs> I can think of a number of furry convention websites. I can point you to where you'll fit right in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, like Anthropes meets um, what is it for Eurofurnace? Eurofurnace. What? Oh. Yes. 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 Wait, <laughs> this is what? another thing that has bloomed over the, um, the, the the rise of the internet is the kind of um, the furries. Mm-hmm. yes our friend Robin is
0: is kind of our much as as jackson you know spreads his wisdom through us um <laughs> Robin spreads kind of unwanted insights perhaps into <laughs> into the worlds of certain internet fandoms uh, into our lives
2: and... the ambassador of furdom <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and yes we we seem to we seem to have ended up knowing a lot more about furry fandom than any of us ever set out to discover
2: oh yeah. <laughs> I still have the bleach ready. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but, I mean, yeah, the first question, for, I, I think we need to get to the bottom is: is, are you sure that you don't just have a moon fetish?
2: I, I keep thinking back to that line in um, Red Dragon, whereas, if you ever looked at Blood in the Moonlight, Will? It looks quite black. Mm. If, one were, if one was going to partake in this sort of thing, they'd have to be nude. Well... What
0: the hell? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, blood loss aside, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of in a moon fetish. I mean, we've all been there at some stage. Blue well, is... may, may, maybe not the moon, but certain astronomical bodies. I mean, you know, Venus really does it for me.
2: I was thinking Moon Crazy is one of my favourite Blue Oyster Cult songs, so hey.
0: <laughs> but beyond that, I think... Yeah, you know, the one thing Jackson wants you to know is there is no such thing as werewolves. I mean, Whatever you think you're going through, it is the product of a deranged imagination. I think that you are probably a perfectly normal cannibal with poor grooming.
2: Or halfway to being a ghoul. Yeah.
0: Yeah, mm. that, that too. I mean, yeah, J- Jackson Jackson has certainly warned us enough times about the ghouls, and we may be witnessing an early part of a ghoulish transformation. It's the hairy
1: part that confuses me, though. Well, a
2: uh, canine hair. Mm. Yeah, the way
1: Lovecraft described um, Pickman's, you know, Pickman's model, you know, they, they were they were dog-like faces, you know, as we talked about last time, they've got claws, they, they had got hoofed feet, which is a
2: bit weird, but apart from that, they sounded a lot like werewolves to me. There's a book we can recommend called Cult de Ghoul, which will help accelerate your change further so that this becomes a relatively um, short, painful transition rather than prolonged.
0: But of course, if ghoulishness or cannibalism aren't at the root of cause of your problems there is still the small matter of your wife's arm that we need to resolve, because if you are not responsible for devouring the arm, that means the arm is still out there somewhere. I mean... If your wife actually proves to have a detachable arm, if this is something, you know, about her eldritch nature rather than yours, I mean, that arm could still be out there in your home somewhere plotting mischief. I, 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 think, I think Jackson wants you to check every nook and cranny on your house and just see whether there's a malevolent arm sitting there like a snake, ready to strike.
2: You're getting me into realms of Barker's body politic now, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> so, there's his hand waiting. It's like a you know, malevolent cousin it or a like, thing, that was it from the Adams family yeah.
1: and in conclusion what are our overall thoughts about the appeal of role playing games
2: long live creative escapism
1: (laughs) creative escapism pretty much sums it up yeah I mean distilling out our earlier discussion I mean a couple of things I would pick out it's because it's fun but it's it's the escapism, and it's the vehicle for having fun with some friends.
0: Yeah, and I think the, mo- you know, the more I look at it, the more I let it over in my own mind. The primary appeal for me is the social one, that I've made more lasting friendships through role-playing games than anything else. Most of the people who are important in my life these days are gamers, you know, people I've met at the table, when I go to conventions, I make new friends every time I go out there. And, you know, I've got friends all over the world, people I like all over the world who, you know, I've met through gaming. And I, I think my life would be a lot poorer without that. Yes, I mean, there's the escapism, there's the creativity, there's the problem solving, there's the joy of acting and trying on new faces. Um, but I fundamentally, yeah, it's a way of connecting with people. Matt,
2: what would
1: you say? How would you sum it up?
2: I'd say that's a, kind of a second added bonus to it. But no, it is the, the way I can just put aside reality and real life for a few hours and revel in the just raw creative inspiration and raw creative well, creation, as it's saying.
1: Because one of the things we didn't talk about, and I don't want to open up the whole can of worms again, but we didn't talk about the, the side that the, the three of us or, or any of you GMs out there spend quite a lot of time on, which is you know when you're sat at your desk... Just writing and coming up with scenarios and all that, and that's fun as
2: well. You know, that sounds like another episode.
0: Yeah, yes, I think that's something we should return to at a later
1: date. Well, let's leave it there for now. It's a good night from me, cheerio from me, and farewell from me.
2: Hello.
0: Blasphemous tomes dot com. Well.